As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll. Less work, more clean. Terms apply. The Athletic. The race is on, and with track limits controversies continuing to flare up in F1 on a regular basis and no solution in sight, what can be done to fix what is becoming one of modern motorsport's biggest problems? And what are the chances of such solutions being implemented? I'm Ed Straw, and joining me to provide answers that are on the line but not over it are Glenn Freeman, Scott Mitchell-Malm, and Ben Anderson. Well, Scott, we'll come to you first. How are you doing? What have you been up to? I'm good, thanks, Ed. Um, well, I'd spent about... I spent about five hours, five and a half hours of my day driving 300 kilometres with a one-month-old, and then I spent about 15 minutes reading the incredibly lengthy steward's dismissal of Hass's utterly futile right-of-review bid, and I'm trying to work out which one of those activities wasted more of my time and life today. Yeah, I think definitely the uh, the latest rights of review, latest in a long line of uh, futile petitions, uh, ticks that box. Ben, have you been reading the rights of review? Is that how you spend your uh, your afternoons? Yes, I have been. Um, yeah, another ridiculous attempt uh, to go over things that should have been dealt with and were kind of dealt with at the time. Um, a giant waste of everyone's time, including ours. And also Glenn Freeman, who just before we started recording was suggesting there needs to be some kind of uh, costs paid or something or fine or whatever for people doing futile rights of review. So this has got you going. Yeah, well, I asked you guys, didn't I? Are these things ever really successful? And it's so few and far between that somebody meets the, I think they call it a very, I think it's called a very high bar in the document. Most of these are utterly futile, a waste of everyone's time, not just as much more important people in F1, time, money, all the things going to waste. Because people have got, this is a lot, people are using this as a last resort because they haven't gone through the proper channels in time. Uh, or I think in this case, they don't have a case. So, yeah, colossal waste of time. And, um, well, I think this is a better use of time now is us slagging the system off um, <laughs> than 
than the, the amount of time that was wasted for all the people. You read the document, it's out there for everybody. A lot of people had to spend a lot of time and money to do this. So yeah, I think we need some, there needs to be ways to uh, d well, put people off of doing this just as a, a kind of frivolous appeal, um, because that's what it feels like to me. I don't need a four and a half page PDF to say that this was stupid and shouldn't have happened. <laughs> no, they could have done it in a line. <laughs> well, Scott, would you like to very briefly explain it? Because it was about track limits at turn six at Austin, wasn't it? Petition for the right to review. The right to review allows stewards to reopen things based on new evidence that's significant and relevant. And it hasn't been accepted. So this doesn't go forward to a review. Can you just give a very brief summary of why? Yeah, so basically, um, Hass use the the or tried to use the right review review mechanism by getting the results of the race uh reviewed basically on the basis of there were offenses in the the race that were were missed or were in, unable to be um noticed or or punished or however you want to you want to frame it the problem is it that because the way the right review works by by petitioning to review the classification the only way that that's really admissible is if you do something that proves that the classification itself was there was something wrong with the publishing of that classification. That wasn't the case. So it was, I think, it was a non-starter to, to to begin with. Obviously, it was it was aimed at, at, at trying to get those track limits offences, alleged track limits offences, um, looked into. The problem is, is that the evidence that Haas presented, which was onboard footage, was exactly that footage that existed at the time and furthermore had been acknowledged in uh by the stewards in austin that this onboard footage existed but wasn't sufficient enough anyway because onboard footage has to be corroborated by cctv or where they exist the timing loops that are used so you have like a, the 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 electronic recognition of a car going across track limits onboard footage alone isn't good enough this has been agreed for for quite a long time because obviously certain angles are only available at certain times it's not always it's not conclusive so you need some supporting evidence they didn't have that at austin and this was a fault because the cctv at that place wasn't angled correctly so you couldn't see the apex it was a flaw they've admitted it's a flaw it'll be fixed hopefully for next year so there was no part of this that ever looked like succeeding so unless Haas had an ulterior motive which might have been to just shine a, a spotlight on how chaotic track limits are at the moment. I, I don't see what this was, was meant to achieve or how it could possibly have achieved it. Well, I think this has achieved a lot because it absolutely underscores the reason for this podcast, which we did actually <laughs> plan before this emerged. Because as you alluded to, Scott, the stewards did say at the end of their verdict that notwithstanding the outcome of this decision... And I quote, they find their inability to properly enforce the current standard for track limits for all competitors completely unsatisfactory and therefore strongly recommend to all concerned that a solution to prevent further occurrences of this widespread problem be rapidly deployed. So the stewards have taken this as an opportunity to say this isn't really good enough. We couldn't do it, but we think this is not adequate. So I guess, Ben, that's kind of a, an OK outcome. There's at least something out of this. And who knows, maybe that was the intent in the first place of House to get something on the record that this needs to change. Yeah, maybe. Although I think the stewards are already frustrated with that. I think you can infer that from their comments in Austin about the CCTV being not right and the onboards not being enough. So, yeah, sure, they've taken the opportunity to remind people of a stance that already exists, but I'm sure they'll be annoyed to have had to waste their time going back over something they've already dealt with. Like, this, it's one thing to 
try to offer some new evidence like Red Bull when they manufactured the Hamilton-Verstappen collision or physics by getting Alex Albon, I think it was, to drive around Silverstone again on a filming day or Ferrari to offer Karun Chanhock's Skypad widely available to Sky subscribers, if not everybody, as uh, new evidence in a case. But in this case, there is absolutely nothing new. It was stuff that was already there, already acknowledged. So... Um, moreover, just a giant waste of time. The track limits to me just feels like something that really you can't solve. It's an ever-present problem. And a bit like in association football, um, the more you try to do it, the more of a mess you make. <laughs> yeah, that's always the, uh, the the problem with this. And just finally on this, Glenn, what do you think? Do you think this was Haas nobly trying to make a point for everyone? Or do you think it was just that Nico Hülkenberg finished 11th in that race and if a few cars ahead of him got penalised that would be quite good news for their Constructors' Championship position is it that much of just a well let's have a punt because the upside's good Yeah I think it's that and and I also think it's it's them realising actually <clears throat> we should have protested this in the protest window straight after the race which I think is what happened in Austria um, was it Aston Martin was there a protest straight after the race and that's how we got all those penalties and everything was was um, jumbled up there. That's what Haas should have done. And then I think when they realised they didn't do it in time, and didn't they make some claims that they didn't have the onboards that the stewards have said were available to everyone? This, you know, it was all nonsense. They missed their window, and then they they did this as a last resort because they had nothing to lose. And that comes back to what I was saying earlier. I think there has to be some sort of deterrent attached to this, otherwise you will get people going well it's worth a punt and it it shouldn't that shouldn't be the attitude because yeah this one it's embarrassing actually that when you get to watch your evidence it's oh the, uh there is no evidence it's just the stuff that everyone had seen already and you guys have already explained why that wasn't relevant yeah this mechanism exists for if legitimate new evidence turns up the stewards didn't have to write a significant wrong that couldn't be done within yeah, the time it scale. Be abused. Exactly. It, it needs to be there. I think it's very positive. It's there. You've got to lodge your uh, your petition for a review within 14 days. They did that. They did it over the uh, Brazilian Grand Prix uh, weekend. But yeah, it's an awkward thing to do. They have to get back the original stewards who are all over the world. So it's something that should be dissuaded. And I think, yeah, some kind of mechanism whereby if you're frivolous with it, or just trying to make a point, yeah, you, you don't do it. It's not there for you. Just it's not there for you. Just argue your cause irrelevantly. You've got to have something tangible, and it was pretty obvious that Haas wouldn't have anything particularly new unless they happen to have, I don't know, Gunter Steiner standing there with his own little video camera monitoring track limits at turn six, which perhaps is something they should consider for the future. Maybe, maybe that's the solution, Gunter Steiner with a with a handheld camera. But the weird thing is that they they petitioned for this review and submitted some wording and then according to the document we've seen they didn't offer anything beyond that even when they were asked to explain whether they had something else to say so to my mind surely they could have just dismissed this without convening everybody because they would have got the wording presumably in advance and already decided well this is this isn't going to go anywhere so the whole thing seems a bit bizarre to me yeah, it's just not particularly good use of everybody's time. Although we do agree with the basic principle that things need to improve. And the stewards did say at the end that something needs to be put in place for next year in order to improve this situation, give them the tools they need to police this Steiner Cam. And Steiner Cam. You've nice come up with it, Ed. Exactly, yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's my proposal. <laughs> be a bit one-paced, though, maybe. <laughs> That'd make a good Drive to Survive episode, wouldn't it? 
Exactly. Well, this this is uh, this is the way it's in- increasingly going with sports, isn't it? So perhaps that's what it's always going to be. Imagine a, ne- a Netflix Drive to Survive style series that's basically inside the VAR room in in football. That would be <laughs> uh, that would be quite lively, based on some of the stuff that's been released in in the UK. But uh, but anyway. What this Haas thing does do is underscore why we're doing uh, this podcast. The stewards didn't mention that, but I'm sure this imminent podcast was in was in their mind when they were issuing their verdicts. And obviously, chat limits a colossal talking point this year, the year before, the year before that, the year before that. Well, you get the idea. This has been going on for a long time. End of the season's fast approaching, so they need to come up with a solution for next season. So I thought we'd challenge the racist staff to come up with workable solutions to banish the problem once and for all, or perhaps, as is the way of things, ideas that make things even worse thanks to the law of unintended consequences. So Glenn, Scott and Ben will all have their chance to propose a solution, analyse the problem and eradicate the controversy both in the paddock and with fans around the world for good so no pressure there on this one and the track limits Easy. pitches can exactly exactly and you can cover everything from track changes to new technology to policing to penalties and we'll tackle your ideas in turn and it's worth noting this isn't just that we're all experienced motorsport journalists but we've all while not f1 drivers obviously we've all taken part in sanctioned motor races in cars or or carts so maybe that gives us a little bit of an extra perspective and certainly uh yeah i can remember from my very amateur racing career occasionally taking advantage of the way track limits were done but anyway let's get on with it glenn you're going to be first up as your editor-in-chief of the race it's only right you should go first so what is your pitch to solve the track limits problem in f1 and beyond it's very simple it's pretty much stick with what we've got and stop blaming the officials and the system and blame the offenders. The The system, I would like the policing to be, to be faster. We don't want the lag that we saw somewhere like Austria where, you know, we had to wait until after the race to get all of the instances uh, reviewed. So we need to speed up the process, but the process of there's the white line. If all four wheels are over it, that's your problem. I'm fine with that. And I'm glad the F1 is finally policing it like this. Because I think the problem stems from, as great as he was, the late Charlie Whiting's era, where F1's approach to track limits was make it up as you go along, change your mind in the middle of a weekend. What works for one track, we won't do that at the next track. It was it was a nightmare and it let people get used to taking liberties in certain corners or at certain tracks. Then we'd go somewhere else and it would be different. When all along, the white lines should have been the, the edge of the of the playing surface, to use a sports phrase. So the issue is that everybody has been conditioned either through watching or competing at the top level of motorsport, whether it's the teams, the drivers, whoever, the fans, to think that it's not that big a deal, or that it can be flexible. It shouldn't be flexible. And obviously there are issues that like we ended up with a thicker white line in Austin didn't we if they want if the drivers want thicker white lines and that helps in any way they can absolutely have them one of the arguments we hear is that uh this this system that I'm suggesting doesn't work because oh we can't see the bottoms of, of our tires which is fair yeah I've sat in single seaters I know how difficult that is so how are we supposed to know but then they say things like if we had natural track limits like grass or gravel we can feel where the edge is so we won't go over it well i think all you need then is a curb the other side of the white line that has some sort of texture and feel to it so they can feel that under their tire and then they know not to go beyond that the the issue here i'm just convinced is competitors taking 
liberties. And I don't actually think we need to do anything too drastic. I do think that curbs shouldn't be wider than a car. You know, this is one of the things. Austria is one of the tracks where we have all these problems. Austria has gravel traps, but the curbs before them are too wide. So you can fit a whole car on it. On the subject of gravel, I, I love the utopian idea that we should just put gravel everywhere on the other side of the curb. Ed, you mentioned that uh, all of us have have raced at a very low level uh, in some form or another. I actually think that's really relevant here because if you go, it's fine you know, for us to spec out these tracks based on the three days a year that they ho host F1 cars. Great. The rest of the year, they have to be useful for other competitors, other championships, much worse drivers like us. And if you go to a test day or a track day or something like that, and you go to a track that has gravel everywhere, every time some useless idiot goes off in his Caterham or Citroen Saxo, whatever he's in, he, he or her, um, you get a red flag at a test day. You lose 20 minutes while that car has to be winched out of the gravel. So it's not in the interest of the tracks for the rest of the year round to have gravel traps everywhere because it ruins their test days. It ruins their race meetings where they're cramming in loads and loads of races for people who are paying to do this really as a hobby. All of these people and all of these tracks have to have their money and their time wasted because 20 guys who are supposed to be the best in the world can't stay within a white line. And we always hear the, the thing about if there's a gravel trap there, we'll know where it is. At tracks where you have a gravel trap, the drivers don't go out on their exploratory laps in FP1 and have to drive into the gravel at every single corner and be like, ah, oh, there's the track limit. They just don't go in it. So again, I don't believe that they need that to know where the edge of the track is. So there are things we have to do to improve policing. They should look at the, the, the pressure pads and that sort of thing that we sometimes see in places like MotoGP. So the stewards, as they said in the report that you mentioned, Ed, they need better systems and better support but the idea of the white line is the edge and you've just got to stay inside it we stick with that because the reason they are going over the limit is not because they can't judge it it's because they know the wider they go and the more they get away with the faster they are so it's on it's on the drivers for me just to uh, give everybody a peek behind the podcast curtain there, it's a good thing that Glenn was going around an imagine, imaginary left-hander just now while he was explaining something. So his, his right arm was the outside tyre judging the gravel trap. Otherwise, he'd have been smashing his left arm on the inside of uh, <laughs> of his roof where he's recorded his podcast from. My I'd main to say thing... that's deliberate. It wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been, given what we were talking about literally just before we started recording, it would have been brilliant if it was the other way around. And I was had very angry there, arm. but I managed not to headbutt the low ceiling I'm underneath. <laughs> the main thing... The main thing that stood out to me from from that, because I I do um, as much as I do want to mock the um, mock you for the clear amount of time it must have taken for you to come up with a creative scenario of do nothing. <laughs> uh, the thing that I do like about it is that the where you where we have it now is like you you do know regardless of the reality of application and how frustrating it might be for fans or drivers and people that miss the days of gravel being kicked up or whatever it is, you know what the rules are now. And we, that is something that we didn't for, for a while. So that that is definitely a good thing. The question I have from, I guess, what you've outlined there, Glenn, because I like the idea of the curb on the other side of the white line, effectively. What kind of curbing would you go for? Because one of the things I really dislike, and this might be me overreacting to something, and maybe it's good that we have variety, and maybe sometimes curbs should be really punishing. I, don't, I do not understand 
why there seems to be such a v variety of um, curb shape, size, style. How and people often mock drivers when we run stories saying drivers have complained about this. But like some curbs to me just seem needlessly destructive. I don't really see why running over a curb should tear up uh, a floor or something like that. And that does happen. There's that there are a couple of curbs that just do not seem to be fit for purpose. So. What would you build that build that idea into a bit more of a three D reality? What would the curving be? Yeah, that's a fair question. I've given that some thought. I, I don't think they need to be those mega aggressive sawtooth ones. We don't want repeats of something, say, that we saw in Qatar, where the, the it, it wasn't so much it wasn't so much how sharp they were, but it was the, it was the frequency at high speed, wasn't it? It was potentially damaging the tires. I don't think the curbs themselves need to be car breakers. F1 cars are so stiffly sprung and so sensitive. As long as there's some sort of texture to the curb, the drivers will be able to feel it. So they shouldn't be flat, painted sort of tarmac because that, that, that is unfair. I think you've got to give the drivers something to feel. I don't think it needs to be that much. Like I say, it doesn't need to be a car breaker. But on the subject of, of car breaking curbs... Do you remember a few years ago in Austria at the penultimate corner? I can never remember. Is it turn nine or turn ten? They always change how many corners that track's got. Penultimate corner, the fast right-hander. Yeah, it's nine they these They stuck days. those really kind of ugly, were they baguettes? Were they sausages? I don't know what they were. Those horrible yellow things, quite high. Uh, the other side of the curb, and uh, was it Dan Kvyat? Was it, um, I've got a vision of a It was Kvyat, yeah. Going over there, smashing his suspension up. I think they got taken away for the next day. Another argument we hear is that they... You know, how many times do you hear a driver say, just put a wall there and then we'll work it out? Well, those kind of aggressive um, baguettes, the other side of the curb, so on the bit you shouldn't be using anyway, that is the aggressive, uh, big, scary, not quite as dangerous as a wall. That That's your big, scary deterrent. And you don't break your car if you don't go out there. So I don't actually have a problem with something much more aggressive being the other side of the curb, but I would I would agree with Scott that the curb itself, the bit the drivers are allowed to use, should just have a, a very slight difference in texture to the track surface. So the drivers can feel when they're there and they should know how wide that curb is and that curb should not be wide enough for them to get a whole car on it because that's where the, that's where the white line problem, as I said earlier, comes from so i'm not actually against the really aggressive stuff being in the runoff area itself to quickly come back to the turn six problem at austin the whole reason we had that frivolous review that we just had to discuss what i can't understand is why they didn't put a, a nice little bump uh inside the apex curb there again why was it why was it a painted piece of red asphalt that would encourage the drivers to go over it put a nasty little bump in there it's low speed so you're not it's not like earlier in the s's where you get someone who just gets their line a little bit wrong they're going to take off it would just be enough of a deterrent and th that just strikes me as something that's not been thought through um and curbs like that or little humps like that we've all done track walks on on grand prix weekends there are the, the a lot of these curbing uh, um solutions they are temporary, so they can be taken away when the bikes go or when NASCAR's there or whoever else they have. So it's not you're not asking for something to be put there that's then going to cause a problem all year round for the circuit as well. 
Yeah, and of course, the circuits want to keep the cost to a minimum, though. That's the only uh, other factor that has to be considered. But well, that, that comes back to the gravel trap point, actually. Gravel traps are expensive to install, very expensive to maintain. And like I say, F1 tracks, they it's a tough enough business as it is. If you're going to add all of that extra cost... Uh, when people go through them and come out of them, you've then got to sweep the track. It's dangerous for everybody. You might get punctures. Yeah, that's another thing, actually. The tarmac runoffs, they have safety benefits, but they're also much more cost effective. The the one the one other thing I guess I should probably flag in response to the uh, I, I'm doing you a disservice here, Glenn. The do nothing solution um, <laughs> I do because it does have some does have some merit. Is as we mentioned earlier when we were discussing the Haas stuff, what happened in Austin. We've got this system now, which should work, but the stewards have admitted they can't police it properly, not not all the time. So if we accept that we do theoretically have a workable solution now in terms of white line, hard limit, brilliant, let's go for it. But how can we can't just accept that because clearly it doesn't work everywhere all of the time. So what do we need to do? Do you have CCTV at every single apex, every single corner? Do you have... Um, the the electronic loops at every single corner, every possible apex that can be broken, every possible corner exit. You have to clearly, based on what the stewards are saying, we need to amp up the technology a little to be able to match even the current solution. It would help to point your CCTV cameras at the apex as a starting point, wouldn't it? I agree. <laughs> Massive oversight, and yeah, I think um, F1 and the FIA needs to need to be willing to dedicate time and money to advancing the technology so that we you know it's not we don't get into the the lag situation we had in Austria where it took so long because there were hundreds of images that had to be checked you've got people manually checking it formula 1 is the pinnacle of technology in every other way i think by now the track limits problem is such an important part of f1 racing that it needs to be it needs to be fixed for the spectacle so let's go away and invest some time, some money, a lot of effort into better systems. There must there must be a technological way to help with this. There must be a way of of triggering sensors. Um, those sensors being reliable and trustworthy, uh, based on the width of a car, for example, uh, so that so that we can we can work this out. I don't I don't have access to the resources or the money to work it out for myself. But it doesn't feel to me like a problem that F one can't fix if people are willing to put their minds to it. So Glenn's idea to summarise, stick with the current situation in terms of what they're trying to do, use the white line as track limits, install some kind of texture behind it so drivers can feel when they're going too far and hold the drivers responsible for their actions, which drivers won't like. They never like that. But yeah, drivers will take every possible advantage they can. So yeah, you've got to make sure you keep them in their box. To avoid uh, any... uh accusations of hypocrisy uh and i was going to ask you this earlier ed when you mentioned it i am speaking as someone who has been done for track limits uh during my limited club racing exploits and why was i abusing track limits in a qualifying session at brands hatch because it was making me go faster so i know what they're up to i've done it myself and when i got caught it was fair enough yeah exactly poacher turned gamekeeper yeah (laughs) that's just the way it goes and no, when, I, when I've been racing, there are always times when you knew you could take advantage of track limits in, in certain things. I always remember 
like the old Silverstone with Cops with the runoff, you could be massively aggressive at the first corner on the outside, knowing you could use that at Croft, where you've got that chicane, the, the third corner. If anybody looked like they were having a little bit of contact, I'd always take that as an excuse to cut the chicane and then make some uh, ground up on the following straight. So yeah, drivers will do it, and we should all be stopped from doing that as much as possible. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Right, we've had Glenn's idea. Let's put that one to one side for now. Next up, Ben, what's your suggestion? Well, I've got a problem with the whole track limits thing because I think on the one hand, it's completely overblown into this massive, massive deal that actually doesn't affect the majority of circuits on the calendar. Most of them have, when you think about it, natural limits, whether it be walls, grass or gravel, it, beca- it becomes a big problem in places like the Red Bull Ring, Qatar. It became a problem for a slightly different reason. We're talking about Austin, but one really one specific place. And I think that'd be quite easy to solve with, as Glenn outlined, a bump or some kind of bollard, something that just physically stops you from cutting the corner. I feel like we've got a little bit away from what track limits policing is supposed to be. It, you're meant to stop blatant cheating or gaining massive advantages so when Glenn mentioned he'd been done for track limits in qualifying at Brands Hatch I mean that's the idea like if you can go faster over one lap in a qualifying session you're going to gain a grid spot from cutting the track you should be penalized but in the races I think this applies in F1 things are much more variable like the cars are not in such a steady state they're not so predictable to drive things change from lap to lap conditions to the track does And we've ended up in this situation of microscopic policing of the limit of a white line, which, as we've seen with VAR in football, creates a whole set of problems of its own in terms of are you actually out or are you not? Are we looking at it from the right angle? Have we got enough angles? Have we got enough technology? A huge spiral, enough people, a huge spiral of difficulty in policing it fairly and consistently sometimes missing situations which is obviously what happened in Austria and then there's a protest and then a huge delay to the results etc so I think we need to take a step back from all of that not have the system we've got now we need the hard limits and they don't have to be okay install an expensive gravel trap that bikers are going to break their bones in or what have you but we have these raised yellow sausage curve still in Austria at turn one. That's the natural track limit there. People go onto it, but they don't go over it because it grounds the car out or what have you. It must be acceptable to bikes because they still race there. And if you're not going to have that, I quite like, although it you know, trashed his car, having that solution 
in Austria when Kvyat went off in qualifying. You know, if you're going to go out to that point and trash your car, good. That's what should happen. You know, back off then and don't trash your car. Maybe we won't go all the way back to that. But I quite like if they're, if we have to introduce a sort of artificial physical limit that isn't the outward barrier or a gravel trap or the grass or what have you. The Qatar curbs, I thought they were they were fine. They were aggressive. If you went on them, you, you gra- too far, you ground out the car. Okay, Pirelli then uh, created a stink because they said our oh, longevity of being on these curbs over race distances, the resonance is going to make the tyres fail. Well, fine. So that's the risk you run as a driver. If you're going to go and abuse that track limit, eventually your tyre is going to blow and you take your, your life in your own hands. So I think where it's a problem, and this is only in specific places like Austria, maybe a little bit at Austin, maybe Bahrain, Turn 4, maybe Stowe at Silverstone, that could be one sometimes. Maybe the Parabolica now, it's not called the Parabolica, is it anymore at Monza, but I call it the Parabolica. I think they took the gravel away. Um, You install these aggressive Qatar curbs that uh, if you go too far over, you ground your car out and it's not quicker. And if you try to run them too much, you risk a tyre failure. So it's a physical limit. That's what we need. And then no one has to police it. No one has to look at a camera. No one has to look at a replay or a still image. And we don't have to have endless debates about how the stewards police it. But but by doing that in certain scenarios and depending on the physical thing that you add, you are you will you'll create the risk for bigger crashes. You will increase the likelihood of there being. If you put a curb like the exit of Austria or Qatar on the outside of Parabolica, the impact of running marginally wide at Parabolica is no longer a sliding through the gravel and nosing into the barrier. That could be losing the rear entirely and coming back onto the track or spinning out of control across the runoff into the barrier or even launching a car depending on the shape of the curb. So Alex Peroni style, if you remember well, him in well, a three a few years I, ago. I will give Ben the benefit of the doubt and suggest he's not advocating monster sausage curbs in the middle of the runoff that are targeted at catch fencing and, and stuff like that. But No. But like No, I'm not advocating that. But my point there is like one, I think I, I do think there is a serious risk of uh, exaggerating the consequences. I certainly don't think the consequences of making a mistake should be reduced or removed, but I'm wary of anything that could inadvertently make it worse. And the second part is like the Qatar curb. Like I might, I might be wrong. I did have to disappear halfway through that weekend, but the Qatar weekend wasn't one of the problems that you could you could get to the point where it was causing tire problems by still being within track limits because it was the outside of the tire, right? So that's a perfectly legal line. You're not taking any liberties through there, and you and you can cause a, a you you can suffer a failure theoretically. So that's not that's not because someone's you know kept pushing their luck or you know live by the sword die by the sword. Um, it's a bit more it's a bit more of a tricky one. So there's a bit of a grey area there. It's a good way to discourage it, though, isn't it? If you just bring that limit slightly in, which is effectively what they tried to do in Qatar, didn't they? They tried to repaint the line, so you had to be slightly further over to the right so you didn't go onto that curb so aggressively but i just quite like the idea that that curb that curb worked as a deterrent um and i also i also think more broadly you know the situation of someone going off the track cutting the track to gain a position you know if they go through like one of the runoff roads or escape roads and then you know they have to give the position back to another car or else they get penalized that that makes complete sense to me. That's that's a proper abuse of the circuit to potentially gain a position. 
but just going microscopically slightly over a white line on a given lap, I, I don't see what difference that makes overall to your performance in most cases. And I kind of feel like we'd have been better off if you just had more of a free-for-all. And okay, yeah, so some people might then find a creative line in certain places that's faster, but that option is available to everybody. So it's kind of self-policing if everybody can do the same thing. Can I ask a question to all three of you, actually, and related to that? Because I think in sort of the sort of summary of your point, Ben, is almost that regardless of the solution, it's the moving away from that microscopic element and dealing with the stuff that actually matters, basically. Yeah. Is it fair... Like I feel like it's fair to say that finding a track limit solution for cutting the apex is way harder than finding a solution for running on the outside. Because if I think back to various points of different championships I've covered, if you, you there's a great way of stopping people cutting the apex of a corner. Put a tire stack there. Put um, a big bump there. But you caught like I was saying earlier, you'll cause a much bigger accident and problem there. By putting that, that someone a slight misjudgment can have really big consequences. Likewise, if you put like a big sausage curb or a bump or something on the inside of an ape- of an apex curb, and someone goes a little bit too far overtaking, then all of a sudden that car's being launched airborne sideways into another car. But those consequences don't exist on the outside. You know, that on the outside it's just all oh, we've broken a floor or we've had a lap time deleted. I- is it harder to do the apex, the inside, to stop that kind of track limits violation versus? running wide which is that microscopic one i think that is becoming prevalent in formula one i think we should hear glenn's answer on this because uh, he looks like he's about to hit the roof or is that more down to where you are than, uh, than your <laughs> state of mind <laughs> yeah it's just because the ceiling's really low <laughs> above me um i've there's a few things that came to mind now i think the the debate around the qatar curbing i agree that i don't think you should have curbing that's that people can use legally uh, that can destroy your tires. But if you want to put that severe stuff in a place where you're only running that if you're outside of the limit, then, yeah, then it's it's, it's your fault because you shouldn't be outside the limit. And if you suffer a problem, so be it. Also, you wouldn't be hitting it every lap. That I mean, that was the issue in Qatar, wasn't it? They were running it every lap and that was what was causing the issue. Whereas if you go out there once or twice, you might go, oh, I shouldn't be out there that's that's a deterrent of of sorts i the the problem with the thing about oh should we really be policing the microscopic things is if you don't where do you draw the line because if the microscopic stuff is allowed someone will be a centimeter over the line but then there'll be someone else in certain corners who's five centimeters 10 centimeters 30 centimeters over the line and then you can't say, ah, oh, well, you're allowed to be 10, but you can't be 11. Because then you're back to the microscopic policing. You're just doing it in a made-up place, the other side of the line. And I I can't argue strongly enough against the idea of a free-for-all, um, mainly because I've seen it. I covered the DTM at Dijon one year. And and uh, Dijon, in its, its kind of modern state, uh, just it's... Kind of, it's two white lines that run around and mark out the track and it's just concrete everywhere. And I did an autosport news report. It must have been 2008, 2009, something like that. I had the stewards sheets and they did the, the crudest drawing I've ever seen. It was a top-down view of a corner made up, so two lines. 
And then there was a little box that marked out a DTM car. I mean, they were boxy, but they weren't that boxy. <laughs> and it was quite far into the runoff and it said, OK. And then a lot further into the runoff, it said, not OK. So they just had a made up place in the middle of a runoff <laughs> area, quite far in. And they went, you can go that far, but you can't go all the way over there. Um it was ludicrous. I'm sure the footage of that race is on YouTube if you Google DTM Dijon. And also, if you make it a free-for-all, all of these tracks, from a safety point of view, the barriers and their positions, for safety reasons, are based on the edge of the track being the edge of the track. If you do what IndyCar, for example, did uh, at Austin when they went there, it was the penultimate corner, they made that a free-for-all. And the guys were running miles out wide into that runoff, meaning that the barrier was no longer really in a safe position relative to what the cars were turning into the edge of the track. So... If you want it to be a free-for-all, you've, you've got to push the barriers back and then we'll have people complaining, oh, the runoffs are like car parks, the fans are sat too far away, the cameras are too distant. So I don't, I don't, I don't think a, a free-for-all is, is workable at all. Yeah, there has to be a defined track ultimately. And Thank you. That's what I said at the start. <laughs> that's the big problem, obviously, Ben, that, that this argument as well about there's no matter where you put the line, there is always a point where... On one side of it, you're okay. The other side of it, you're not okay. Even, you know, there'll be that half millimetre difference. So I guess that's the, that's the big issue, isn't it? Because you, you will move a limit around and there has to be a limit somewhere. Or do you think you just say, no, there isn't a limit? I just don't think in the F1 tracks we have that there are too many places where having the free-for-all would make this kind of ridiculous situation that Glenn described in the DTM at Dijon, which obviously hasn't been an F1 track for a long time, a problem. You know, in Austria, you still have the physical limits even beyond the curves we have. You know, there are barriers, there's grass, there's gravel. So I don't think it's really... If you if you allow people to, to push the limits a bit more, I mean, eventually they're going to... They're not going to go faster. They're going to dip wheels on the grass. They're going to go off. They're going to going to damage their cars so they have to rein themselves in in Bahrain there's that one corner but outside of the line and I think there is a low level curb on the outside people don't run there it the the grip will change um you could have I suppose even the Paul Ricard style uh, asphalt couldn't you that's like tire destroying and meant to be uh super high grip or super abrasive so I think there are still even things you can put in beyond the white lines if you can have no obvious physical limit to to deter the driver i just feel like i mean obviously i haven't got all the answers but if any way you can install things or create a situation where you don't have to rely on a bunch of stewards microscopically analyzing various situations and multiple instances before determining the result would be a step forward for everybody i think one point that Ben's made actually kind of helps us here is the point that it is certain corners on certain tracks and that means that if there is an expensive um, or or high-tech solution that's needed you don't suddenly need to put it at how how many corners has Silverstone got now about 20 or something you don't need it every corner at Silverstone Um, you would go you would go to Silverstone and you'd say okay we know that corner's a problem. We know that corner's a problem. Whatever our new special expensive solution is, it goes there. So you don't have to waste money doing it everywhere. But 
it wouldn't take that long for someone to do a more in-depth version of what Ben's done, which is a quick look at the calendar and go, which tracks are problematic? And at those problematic tracks, which corners are problematic? And you quite quickly narrow it down. And one thing I do agree with, and as I said in my bit, we have got to get away from the manual process that we have at the moment, which just feels really out of date. You know, effectively in club racing, they're called observers, aren't they? You can't just have people having to sit there looking at a CCTV camera going, was that one over? Right, write that one down. Was that one? Oh, I don't know. Oh, the camera's pointing in the wrong direction. Um, yeah, F1 should be better than that. Yeah, I also have a problem with the 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 system that goes after that in terms of punishing people like in qualifying that makes complete sense to me you know what however you judge it once you've judged that someone's gone outside of track limits and they've gained time you can see on the lap that they've gone faster than they went before you delete it because it's an illegal lap time and then they have to go again or what have you that that makes sense even though you still have some of the problems in terms of the microscopic policing of it or judgment of it it's still a bit more straightforward. The punishment fits the crime. But in the race situation where you have your warnings and then your five-second penalty and your 10-second penalty, what have you, the as the dynamic state of the car and the track changes, and this is something Max Verstappen talked about as well in a press conference not so long ago, he said that you know, he complained that people on the outside don't understand how difficult it is to keep the car sometimes on the in the right attitude. And you can go slightly out of track limits very slightly, not intentionally, not cheating, just because a gust of wind has happened or the cars uh, slid in a way that you didn't predict. And that might be your third offence, let's say, of going slightly out, outside this white line. You you won't have gained Tough anything, luck. no, but you, you're then pinged five seconds. And then say you you haven't you've made all your pit stops there's no opportunity to serve that penalty at a pit stop so it's applied to your your finishing time but there's a safety car late in the race that condenses the field suddenly you may be in one position that's a different problem your, though isn't it you know the, the the flaws of the five second penalty is a completely different podcast well, it was part of our discussion not you know what things you would change so even if we even if we can't settle on what is the right solution in terms of how to police track limits i definitely think that in the situation of the race, the the penalty system uh, doesn't always work. There, there should be more flexibility in terms of how track limits is applied and what punishment should should fit the crime. Like like I said before, it should be designed to stop egregious cheating and someone gaining a, a massive advantage from it. And I think that what we've got is a sort of absolute system where every incident is punished in an identical way. And it doesn't take account of the circumstances behind what's happened. And I think that's what the drivers are expressing and what Verstappen is trying to express, that you can't, not every situation is different. So we talk endlessly about racing incidents and collisions and how no two incidents are the same, but yet you have to have a system that almost applies a universal law to that. And you have the same problem, I think, with track limits. And that creates a frustration when a situation that, isn't intentional hasn't gained somebody something it's punished in the same way as somebody just cutting the corner blatantly to gain lap time yeah the 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 penalty system is is flawed we've had examples i think this year haven't we where someone might lock up or like make make a genuine error i'm not talking about one where they catch it and they carry on and because i think you've still gained from going outside of track limits there having made a mistake but when when a driver makes a massive error 
and ends up in the runoff and has definitely lost quite a lot of time. And it comes up as one of their three warnings and then they moan. I, I do have sympathy with that because that's not a, you know, that's you've gone off. You've, you've not made, you've not committed a track limits offence. There should be a difference. Yeah, that's and that happened to me in a race at Spa and it cost me a victory. And uh, that that's in the Belgian the bit, Grand Prix. That's <laughs> no, I wish. But uh, that that particular um, situation, I have massive sympathy for drivers who, you know, for whatever reason, like I say, it's it's not easy to well, it's not easy to handle any racing car on the limit. But obviously, Formula One cars, especially, and these kind of things happen to you that you know are untoward that can be for any number of reasons and if you've had a had a genuine error and gone off the track and you get pinged for track limits like like you say Glenn, you've lost time and then you get pinged another five seconds i just think that's a, a massive injustice it has just occurred to me ed that a recent podcast guest that we had um might be a, a slightly fairer um opinion on track limits than ben anderson because if i recall correctly uh, Diego Mejia is much better at observing track limits around the Red Bull ring than Ben Anderson is. Yeah, there's definitely absolute proof for that in the race you were both in a few years ago. I've still got the frame grab of you blatantly exceeding track limits at a restart of the last corner. How do you defend yourself, Ben? I, th- I think he was taken out in his race, wasn't he? We had we had a race while on the we track. Shared, we shared the car <laughs> and then it, we had a solo race and uh, he he was crashed out by some other people. If you're four metres into the runoff area, Ben, then you're probably protected from other cars. <laughs> it's the safest uh, place was, to be. Uh, <laughs> I was, he hasn't prepared his defence. Look how unprepared no, he is. I wasn't expecting this question. Uh, what, was the que- what was the question? What am I trying to defend Are myself? Are you a massive cheat? Why went off track? Well, actually, it, it, that is another one that feeds into what I was saying. So in this situation, we got towards the end of the race, there was a safety car because somebody beached their car in one of the gravel traps at the Red Bull ring. And uh, I'd been coming through the field and I think I was in fourth place, had a chance of third, running out of time. And I was thinking, okay, so I've got to get this restart right. And uh, decided not to. That will be my only, only chance to attack for third place. And then we came through penultimate corner, last corner for the start. And, you know, I just carried too much entry speed on the wrong angle uh, for the last corner, ran wide onto the, the curb, had to back out of the throttle because, you know, otherwise I was going to hit the wall uh, and messed up my restart. But yeah, they pinged me for track limits. So um, again, because it was a, a safety car affected race towards the end, that was massively costly. So I held onto my fourth place, but that quickly became something like 10th or 11th or 12th because they applied a five second penalty two laps later at the after the checkered flag so very disappointing oh the carlos signs of the race <laughs> i've got so many <laughs> tales of woe so many tales of woe I could fill a whole <laughs> podcast <laughs> yeah, it's amazing how many scrapes with officialdom that have uh, that have cost you but yeah it, it does sum up the problem so i guess the summary of your proposal is that you need to allow a reasonable amount of leeway but tackle the key areas where there's a big problem with it with the necessary technology tackle the root of the problem i think tackle the root of the problem and take uh the the microscopic policing and the human intervention element out of it as much as you possibly can we'll get back to the pod in a moment but first a word about our partner grammarly no matter what kind of work you do how you communicate is key All those emails, reports and presentations are equally important to the collaboration needed to get things done. And Grammarly can help. Grammarly is your AI writing partner to help you communicate more effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact at work. 
I know from experience that Grammarly can help you save time on any writing task and ensure you feel confident about what you've produced. In fact, 96% of Grammarly's users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing, and their tone suggestions can help you navigate even the most difficult work conversations. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Sign up and download for free at grammarly.com forward slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said done. Right, it's two ideas down, one to go now. We've saved the best for last, or that's at least what you told us, Scott. So what's your idea? Make it good. This has to solve the problem, or motorsport's very future is in danger. Inverse track limits, the least amount of time spent on the actual track itself wins. Nikita Mazepin, 2021 Formula One world champion. <laughs> Whoever's driving round and round the perimeter road, one of the photographer's shuttles would win. <laughs> <laughs> You're just in trouble every time you hit an apex. Um, I think I would go for, so I'm going to pick up on something actually that Glenn covered off uh, early on in his, because I agree that the worst, the worst part of the F1's track limits um, dilemma came around early 2021 or certainly through 2021 when this was it was post whiting but it was certainly a continuation of um, sort of what Charlie had started and it was in Michael Massey's ultimately just inherently flawed um, run of race control which is where you had not only different rules for different corner types you had different rules for different corner types at different tracks and then you also had those rules change in mid weekend and it was a farce, an absolute unmitigated farce. However, I think, personally, that there was something about that that could work if you applied it consistently across the season and it was communicated clearly to everyone in advance and then didn't change afterwards, so you just left it there. So I would say you can identify, um, you can identify circuits and corners and tracks that have a clear difference between a natural deterrent on the outside and and not and in that case if it's got grass if it's got gravel on the outside that's a natural deterrent if it doesn't it doesn't have one of those and i think if f1 adopted a system whereby any exit of a corner that had grass or gravel there that is devoid of any kind of feeding into what ben said manual intervention there is no exceeding of track limits there because theoretically that deterrent is going to cause the driver aggro anyway. Now, there might well be some specific scenarios whereby those two wheels dipped into the gravel or onto the grass or whatever, or the four wheels because you're going off, obviously, doesn't actually matter, right? Um, it, it might actually help you or whatever. But I think actually, by and large, if you've gone all four wheels past the white line onto grass and gravel, I think you're going slow. So I think if you apply, I can't think of anywhere where it would be faster. I can't. Think <laughs> well, if you if you've got no, because if you've got if you've got like flat, but it can be inside apex as well, right? So let's say for example the, and I know I don't think you can actually do this in reality, but onto the hangar straight at Silverstone, the grass on the left hand side, and you come off the back uh, at the back of Beckett's, if that's completely dry and flat, you can cut that, and I don't think you lose time. Right, that's that would be like an example like that. I'm not saying that is definitely the case, yeah. but anyway, chapel. Yeah, yeah. So, maybe. so my my point would be that um, if you had, if you if you 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 identify these places, you know, going into a season, and the fans know going into the season, the drivers, the teams, us, we all know. If there's grass or gravel on the outside of a 
of a corner, then there is no manual policing of, of track limits. But you have a system for the very many corners that don't have grass gravel on the outside. And that can be any of what we've discussed so far. I think that we've had quite a lot of nice ideas through this podcast that have that. The reason for that is that you don't, first of all, you don't overcomplicate it. Second, it is understandable because it's not changing every single weekend. It's very, very obvious to a fan watching why that's allowed, but that isn't because he's gone through gravel there. He's gone through grass there. Oh, she's gone through um, runoff. So there, that's it, it's 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 different. It's so obviously different. So that's fine. Um, it then it also reduces the um, human time burden of going through every single track limits offence. Because a lot of those, that's going to buy you back minutes in race control or in the stewards room afterwards. So you're not going to have to worry about that. And I think this was in response to Glenn's suggestion, that kind of um, bespoke placement of your, you know, your really trick bits of tech to help police stuff. So whether it is your super duper CCTV or your, or your time, in, your electronic loops or whatever, you then, you only have to focus those on... So I, I, that is the case now, but it just puts the emphasis on we don't need a solution. We don't need to put something like this on grass and gravel as well because it takes care of itself. So it's not, it's it's certainly not a revolutionary um, suggestion. I'm not sat here advocating a Lucas Degrassi style electronic cutout of power when someone goes four wheels off the track because I hate that idea and I think it's really dangerous. But I think this is just, for me, this idea is common sense. I think it takes the best of natural deterrence while also still giving us a reason to come up with something that does work for places that do need an artificial deterrent on the outside of a corner. And so I think if you had that mix of don't don't burden yourself with policing grass and gravel, focus on a proper solution here. And for that, I would have a strip of either curb solid ground whatever it is like uh, Glenn suggested to have something beyond the white line to give the drivers something to feel or I'd have a small strip of slippery surface on the outside of an exit curb or a white line so that there is something beyond it that causes a, a loss of traction that would be my kind of hybrid uh, idea any thoughts Ben or Glenn yeah um Scott's right that if it was if it was laid out clearly at the start of the season and that was stuck to and it was consistent I think we could all live with that so one of, I was obviously very critical of of, of the Charlie Whiting system, and, and Scott's right that that continued um, afterwards initially uh, under Massey. Uh, I didn't like how inconsistent it was, and I definitely didn't like the the inconsistent application and the way it could change all the time. But if you know, say for example, one that came to mind when Scott was talking, I think is Luffield at Silverstone. Uh, there is there's a curb. I think there's a bit of kind of um, green asphalt, maybe the other side of the curb, then there's gravel. It might be an example where um, there's enough hard surface that you can have all four wheels off before you get to the gravel. My solution for a corner like that or for a corner like, I think it's turn four now in Austria, where again, the curb is just too wide before you get to the gravel. My solution would be bring that gravel in so you can't get a full car on the curb. But if we were going to outline it the way Scott has. And we say, look, there is gravel just there. So you're only just going over the white line. That corner is going to be okay because it's the same for everyone. I would be willing to accept some pragmatism if it's consistently applied and very clearly communicated uh, in those situations. Because yeah, if you, and this might help with what, what, with what Ben said, which is if you're 
half a centimetre over at turn four at Austria, well, that's no big deal. And actually, if you're 10 centimetres over, you've got a wheel in the gravel anyway. So as much as I would prefer those curbs not to be wide enough so that you do hit gravel before you breach track limits, I would be, yeah, if we get, if, if everyone's prepared to uh, handle it and, and communicate and, and act like grown-ups, um, then, yeah, I'm all for it. I think the key would be to, you just have to have a, a sensible discussion and a, reach a decent agreement on what you count as this deterrent or that deterrent, right? Because um, the point of like curbs beyond the white line, that's a, to me, that's a gray area. Is that na- like, it, it's artificial in that it's, you know, we have designed, like it, it's something physical put there, but everything on the racetrack is kind of artificial. Like you, you, you dump gravel, on the outside of a corner that's not naturally occurring gravel in that arrangement is it that that's so that that's often artificial so you i think you just need to i think if you just had that sensible discussion and said right okay this kind of curb on the outside this grass this gravel anything that that's the stuff we don't police but this bit of ast- this this kind of astroturf is that's just an extension of the track because how many tracks do we have now where there's astroturf on the outside that actually makes no difference <laughs> you just run over it and just keep your foot flat flat to the floor so i've i know you're then you, you then ask you're still working in an arbitrary system because you're basically putting it on other people to then set these parameters and therefore because you've done it manually those parameters can change but i just feel where we're at at the moment that's going to happen on, on some level anyway and this way with a sensible amount of input I think you could come to a, a workable compromise. I think that's where maybe this high grit Ricard runoff, as much as everyone hates the way that circuit looks on the pictures, is probably the best solution you have right now. Because you're right about the the kind of artificial astroturf type surface that is that lies beyond the curb, like Glenn pointed out at Silverstone. In the dry, it's no deterrent at all because most of the time you can just rip it up. Or just use it and then in the wet it it almost accelerates a car going off when it touches it and loses grip and when you're thinking about the other categories and the bike racing that happens at the circuits where this is a particular problem for formula one you don't don't want that but i whether that's the that seems to me like the best best compromise physical deterrent the other side of the limit that you could have if the curbs can't be more aggressive and like you say scott you don't want to have raised extra raised curbs at high speed places because you might inadvertently create a really dangerous situation and cars getting launched but the thing that i i do like about what you're saying is focusing on particular areas rather than having a blanket solution everywhere i think that's kind of what charlie whiting was trying to do when he was first getting to grips with this problem and things have just kind of run out of control in the in the years since and just keeping it simple you know that's that's the thing it's got too complicated too much uh human intervention and technology flying around you want the simplest solution possible so that you can have it consistently in the places where you need to target on the ricard stuff um my understanding is that that stuff only damages tires if you spin across it I think if if you run across it uh, or if you just touch it, uh, obviously you're loaded up, so you might do a bit of damage. But that stuff is there, obviously, to slow down spinning cars. And I think it only really shreds the tyres 
if you sort of scrub across it sideways or something like that. So I don't think you could, I might be wrong, but I don't think you could really put that stuff the other side of curbs and it would do enough damage. And if it did do damage, we'd have Pirelli intervening halfway through a weekend again, saying, oh, you're damaging our tyres, we can't possibly do that. <laughs> um, so I'm not sure that one would yeah. work. But Ricard is a good example because the places where you have track limits problems there are where they haven't put a raised curb like going on to the back straight i think that was a, the that's the example of the thing i hate which is just painted asphalt it looks like a curb but it's not there's nothing there and i do sympathize with the drivers in that situation they can't see the bottom of their tires and they've got nothing to feel because nothing changes and um, i assume that's not a curb for the safety reasons you you mentioned in that they don't want drivers to be able to go off at speed there and launch themselves. But then you come back to what I said, just have a very low frequency so they get some feel from it. And and I think I think you can I think you can do it. Um Nobody's nobody suggested catch fencing yet. Is that going to be your one, Ed? <laughs> yeah, we'll go. Uh, we'll go retro, especially because there's always the chance of it trying to grot hey, the driver or the fence. But yeah, catch fencing was not a glorious moment uh, in uh, motorsport safety uh, safety history. But we, we've got lots of ideas, though. I guess we can characterise Scots as kind of narrowing the intervention and relying on the uh, the natural limits where possible. But I, I think if we try and take the threads from everyone. I think we probably agree that wherever possible, natural track limits are advantageous with minimal intervention. That's the sort of area we're trying to get to, aren't we? This needs to be self-policing and automated, requiring the stewards only to get involved if something very unusual happens because you can't have these races where, like Austria where there's countless offences being analysed and audited because that's the only way you'll get a degree of consistency. Does everyone sort of agree that's the rough direction? I think so, but I'm disappointed, Ed, because I was really hoping that you were going to be the voice of the blue-checked idiot on X, and we're going to advocate AI is the solution <laughs> to all of this. No specific, no specific details, but could you just adv- could you just confirm that AI would be the solution to all of this? Yes, AI solution, and <laughs> what, at some point in the future it may be, but it's yeah, it's a little bit more complicated uh, than that, and obviously. I think there is a serious element to that because the key is also the rules, isn't it? And how you, how you frame the rules because even if you had the perfect policing, that would be dictated by the rules and where, where things are, which is why I think it points us back to this thing of natural track limits being the ideal because also drivers will take advantage wherever they can. Drivers have to go to the absolute limits. It's a bit like the point that was being made earlier about Verstappen saying, well, sometimes the conditions can change and you slide wide and if you do that as a third or fourth time you get a penalty well if you do that at monaco once you've got your suspension damage or whatever so the drivers will tune what they're doing based on what the reality is and i do like the fact that certainly on the ex on the exit of corners if you have some gravel or grass there and you take a bite of it even if you don't lose time if you somehow hang on to it and it works then there's kind of an element of well okay you've you've got away with that inside of corner slightly uh, different admittedly but it it does engineer in a more sensible approach and then it avoids a lot of the well should this be five seconds ten seconds at what at what point do you need to do a more aggressive penalty to stop drivers buying an advantage that actually is a net gain yeah that's where the real the real mess ends up you know going right back to the start glenn's point about drivers taking advantage of anything they can take advantage of and just needing to focus on them not going beyond the white line I mean, that that is true to a large extent so i just feel like the the ultimate solution is to, as Scott was outlining, 
focus all your efforts on particular areas of particular circuits where you know it's going to be a problem because it is obvious and then okay we haven't quite come up with the right specific solution but you just need to make it slower or disadvantageous to go offline whether that's a bollard on the apex of corners or it's some kind of slippery or super abrasive asphalt or whatever it is and that like you say a natural track limit on the outside and then there's no incentive no gain for going outside of the track limits and if you do you might get away with it and be lucky or more likely than not you won't you'll lose time you'll lose your car you'll suffer damage or certainly a loss of lap time and then it's self-policing that's the ideal it needs to be self-policing not endlessly intervened with stewards and reviews and tv footage and petitions of rights to reviews and penalties etc as um as disingenuous as it might sound which is obviously my sort of path of the course when i start speaking one of the things i was think i was thinking just now and ben actually mentioned it in his answer there which was about you know whether you could make it sort of slippery on the outside i have wondered a couple of times if it's not possible to reverse engineer what they got so badly wrong with that resurfacing of istanbul in 2020 and why the hell that was so utterly abysmally low grip and if you could replicate that and have that as a runoff surface that to me would be almost the perfect low grip just runoff get surface. them to do it <laughs> just get the istanbul uh, circuit relayers to come and do every single runoff area in qatar austria just drop <laughs> oil and banana skins in the runoff mario that's Kart. all we need yeah <laughs> to bring it back to where we started with the Austin stuff, a, a, a few a few times you guys have mentioned, um, you know, tackling the notion of cutting corners. I think what made the Austin thing so different was that actually corner cutting isn't really a, a track limits issue in F1. Every, all the controversies come around people running wide on the exit of corners. I can't think, other than this specific Austin issue that we had in in turn six i can't think of another corner at the moment in f1 where corner cutting is an issue have you got one ben yeah it's happened a few times in mexico hasn't it there's i think it's the, the second part yeah the, the second part of the first complex you can uh, you yeah. can cut the inside and yeah. a few few guys have been done for that i think mick schumacher had a problem with that didn't he he had a bit of a album this year have moan yeah um so that uh, but they are rare they are rare yeah it shows how rare it is and i don't know if that's the due to the dynamics of what it's like to drive an f1 car now i don't think it's to do with the way it's easier to to have good curbs on the inside of corners than it is on the outside where they're probably a bit more scared about a car hitting it at a wrong angle it just it struck me as interesting that track limits in f1 these days is not really a discussion about cheating by cutting a corner there's a lot more ways to break track limits at the exit if you like in terms of the fact that your momentum carries you you have a moment or whatever yeah whereas i'm pretty sure the alban one in mexico was the consequence of obviously the temperature of the track had gone up he was really struggling for grip and gradually the track was coming back towards the williams and i suspect he just turned in expecting a similar level of grip to what was there before turned in a bit too much just too because much of that grip. changing so yeah you almost need to turn in too much to do that accidentally but it, it, what a it shows how <laughs> conditions dependent things can be but yeah i think that the outside of the corner you can end up there much more in much more wide range of different circumstances let's put it that way i wonder if there's a degree of carelessness as well and just like just lack of thought into certain designs because when you were talking about cutting the corner glenn my 
I immediately went to further round the lap in Austin. You remember um, the, the lost podium a few years ago, the illegal overtake on, on the inside because you can go four wheels on the inside through the through the sort of triple right-hander um, right at the end of the lap. So that's a... That, that, and if you actually think about how that track is designed and the way the curbs and the runoff work, it is basically permanent the whole way around the lap, isn't it? So that's just... I think that's just a, an oversight. I think that's the way they've done that track and they've not thought, hang on a second... What about what about going this way across the across the thing? Because it's too it's too it, it's it's common. It's it's every pretty much every single corner all the way around the lap. So it just it can't have been thought of because no one could possibly have gone there and just want yes, that's absolutely fine to leave like that. Yeah, it's it's, it's the red paint, isn't it? One of the things I said I can't stand yeah. is kind of just painted flat surface the other side of a curve. Yeah, it's it's all the way around. It lines the track there, which is probably a reflection of when that track was built and kind of the era of of circuit that was being created around that time when it was just all about you know let's let's surround these tracks with with flat surfaces with tarmac with asphalt whatever you want to call it um that was the way they went with it then and we're then left kind of a decade later with this this kind of legacy problem that i imagine yeah to answer your question scott i think it was just unforeseen at the time i think one thing this discussion has underlined is how multidimensional it is because we've talked about track design. It's not just stewarding in Formula One. It's all categories. It's two and four wheels. It's the design of every single corner. It's the technology that's available that perhaps needs to be researched in order to, to fix it. And you need to have a solution that can actually work for everything, both in terms of creating track limits and not creating a safety problem which is quite a difficult needle to thread and I I guess it's almost inevitable that motorsport would get to this point because the safety improvements inevitably make the tracks less self-policing so I almost feel like the absolute decisive thing that needs to happen is the FI probably needs to properly put together almost an all-hands analysis where you have key people from different areas who can really define the full extent of the problem and not find solutions that tick three of the eight boxes or whatever because then it'll create unintended consequences and other things so you need some kind of proper systematic approach that works for everyone and doesn't compromise it in other areas isn't unenforceable isn't something you can take advantage of but it's very very difficult to do and I think that probably that's the only thing that will actually stop this because no matter what set of rules you come up with for what currently exists there's always going to be some way in which it can cause problems and people won't like it and then people demand consistency in stewarding and you can never really have true consistency so you just go round and round and round in in circles which i know is the point of motorsport but yeah it's it's very very difficult with with the current toolkit to to sign it so i guess first and foremost it's a track furniture solution is the one i'd be very interested in exploring can there be as we've talked about some better runoff that ticks all those boxes and i know people have thought about it and looked at it but has there really been a proper kind of mood shot analysis of this invest some money in it a bit like the fi has been doing with the spray guards project actually invest some real effort in defining the problem working out what solution could work collaborate with fim and whatever other sanctioning bodies you need to in order to satisfy everybody it's perhaps a bit of a utopian desire and maybe we're just stuck with with this problem but that to me seems the the direction it'll yield the best possibility if they really put their minds to it i think they can make it work 
and it probably is there probably is a solution that we haven't thought of you know someone will come up with something new that works but as you outlined there ed they've got to be willing to put the effort into it and to make the spray guards comparison they've got to do a better job than they did with the spray guards because you know there was a massive oversight there but they went oh we'll control the water coming off the tires what about that massive diffuser that throws up most of the spray <laughs> and we won't cover <laughs> yes, that exactly so if they take that approach to track limits we're going to get nowhere um but yeah i i'm sure with a bit of proper research, proper testing, and a bit of time, it, you probably wouldn't be able to have something in place for the start of the 2024 F1 season, for example, if you started it now. But yeah, commit commit the time and effort and actually try out some, some different solutions. Because as I think we've outlined here, the options we have right now, there are flaws with all of them. I think you're being a bit generous there, Glenn. I think if the amount of time and money that's been spent on frivolous right of review hearings had been put into the track limits problem, we could have a solution by Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get Haas and Red Bull and Ferrari and anyone else to fund it. It should come out of their their budgets. <laughs> it certainly illustrates that it's, it's really investment in this problem that needs to be done. I actually think it's really important because I actually think this is a fundamental problem for motorsport and the difficulty of finding an elegant solution just makes things look a little bit silly. You want minimum intervention, ultimately, and that can only really be achieved by the physical track. But how you do that safely... That's why I like the old Snetterton, Ed. You, you remember the old Snetterton where you could run wide at the second corner and it was massive. People would go flying massively off the track and then come back on for a slipstream race down the down the back straight. Perfect. No, no track limits there. <laughs> exactly, but that one was particularly good because you had to either do it only a little bit or massively because there was that that bit of the runoff that was really rutted and bouncy. So you you couldn't cut. You had to absolutely commit to it or barely do it. If you kind of took the natural thing, you'd, you'd end up sort of on this little uh, uh, these sort of yumps almost that could be quite hard work. So uh, yeah, maybe there's a maybe there's a solution. But I think we've probably. At the very least, if we haven't defined a solution, which we probably haven't, we have defined the problem. And actually, that's half the battle, because only by defining the problem can you work out in what areas your solution needs to be. So maybe there's a at least a direction out of this. And, and do let us know on social media or whatever, whatever other means you want to contact us. If you have an idea and you're sat there thinking, what are these idiots on about? Here's the obvious solution. But of course, if you've got a solution... Very but, likely. <laughs> exactly. But beware the law of unintended consequences, because that's always the thing. And I think probably intervention and excess technology is not the answer, as we've seen with VAR in football. It can promise much, but often perhaps not be the uh, the way of doing it so yeah perhaps the physical chat technology definitely the way to go so you're not picking a winner i don't really think there is a, i actually i think there's what i like is that i didn't hear you suggesting a good one no well that's not the way this works i just sit in judgment but i actually think I actually, wedged on the fence in. as usual but i actually think all three of you that there were there were common elements across there were common elements across everything the three of you said that help define the problem and show why it's difficult to create a solution and, and also sum up the need to once a solution's in place just accept its limitations because there's there's never an absolutely perfect solution and the perfect shouldn't be the enemy of the good ah uh, so it's a cop out so in a very non-motorsport way we're all winners here <laughs> i prefer to think of it as you're all losers in a way that's the but if you just pull a few threads from each of you you can collectively just about seem competent that's the way i'm i'm looking at it but it's a complicated problem and 
the fact is whenever you think there's an easy solution to something there usually isn't very occasionally if you're lucky there is but this, this is a tricky problem but it's emerged naturally out of a thing that used to work because tracks could be as dangerous as you want and your track limits were whatever you were going to hit grass or a wall or a photographer or the crowd that's you know you know a little bit but you know you see some old photos and there's some pretty extreme stuff obviously you don't want that but you want to kind of recreate the negatives without the safety problem so that you lose the time then you take the whole thing off the table because nobody's going to do it and that's the the big problem and drivers and teams will always seek a competitive advantage so thanks very much glenn ben and scott for your insight even though you haven't quite solved the problem i think we've taken a step towards it let's put it that way head to the race.com and don't forget the hyphen loads to read there on f1 and the rest of the world of motorsport check out our other podcasts including bring back v10 hosted by glenn the Race F1 Tech Show with Gary Anderson, our Formula E, IndyCar and MotoGP podcast as well. And also check out our YouTube channel, both for long and short videos. Well, we can now firmly turn our attention to F1's newest race and the great excitement surrounding the Las Vegas Grand Prix. So stay with us for everything you need to know from the world of Formula One. The Athletic. 